Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Um, we're going to dive right off the deep end uh, this this morning. We we started this series last week called "What Come or um, uh, Is This the End." And we're going through Matthew 24, and I just got to tell you ahead of time, we're talking about the end of the world. We're talking about, um, you know, the end times. And I know that when you hear about the end of the world or Armageddon or anything like that, most of us probably think of Dwayne the Rock Johnson jumping out of a helicopter or, you know, Will Smith punching an alien in the face. And just so you know, we're not going to talk about that today, even though that's the popular understanding. Instead, we're going to talk about the end times. Last week, in fact, let's pull up our little chart, our little timeline. Last week, we talked about the church age, which is actually the age that we're in right now. There was the cross, and now, right now, we're in this thing called the church age. But today, we're going to jump over into this time of great darkness in the world called the tribulation. And Jesus wanted us to understand what was going to happen here. Um, and you need to know that it really is, um, it's unlike any other time that there's been on planet Earth before. Like Jesus kind of pulls out the restraining bolt that was holding back a lot of the darkness that would sweep in if he took his grace away a little bit. But now we're going to start experiencing that more and more. Uh, interesting fact, Time Magazine did some research and put out an article that suggested that 36% of Americans believe the Bible is the word of God, but 59% believe things that are written about in Revelation are actually going to happen. You believe that? That's over half the nation believes Revelation stuff is going to happen. We're going to talk a little bit about Revelation stuff that we're going to primarily stay within Matthew 24. We're just going to reference some other stuff, but God wants us to know about this. He wants us to because first he wants us to celebrate it even though it sounds kind of dark and it's going to feel a little bit dark today. So just so you know, we need to have this, like we got to have balance as a church. We all like, like rah, rah, rah messages, but we also need to know like, look, dude, here's the deal. I don't know if there's a pretty way to paint some of this, but I promise at the end, there's some like really good news. There's like some really awesome stuff. So, um, if you, if we get in a point today where you're like, man, I'm feeling depressed already. Um, I want you to keep something in your mind. Can you put buddy Jesus on the screen? Okay, just, just picture him, all right? When you start to get like, whoa, this is like kind of harsh, picture him because that's his heart for you. If you're in Christ, if you ask him to be your leader and your forgiver, like he's, it doesn't matter what's going on. He's like, yo, I got you. I got you, man. You're good, okay? So we just need to understand that. That's his heart to us because we're gonna keep going down a few, a few levels and it might get a little bit scary. Um, now here's something else we need to know when we study prophecy. Prophecy studied rightly doesn't lead to fear, even though this is going to be scary a little bit. It leads to faith. It leads to faith because Jesus wins. Because like, whoa, hallelujah, like there's someone in control of all this. There's someone who is doing all this so we can have security in that. So here's seven things that will happen during the tribulation. Now if you want to throw in some amens just to like kill some of the quiet that's going on in the room, that would really help me, just so you know. But um, seven things that will happen during the tribulation. Last week, we left off at verse 14 in chapter 24, and it just said, and then the end will come. And now we're starting that end. That's called the seven-year period of the tribulation. And Jesus has some very specific things, specific ways he, uh, he couches that. He's giving guidance, remember, to his disciples. He's saying, look, guys, you need to know that this is going to happen. Now, Jesus is so cool that when he starts to talk prophetically, um, he's doing it in kind of like triple layers. So he's talking about stuff that is going to happen soon for the hearers, but also stuff that's going to happen distantly for us. So let's pull it apart and we'll understand a little bit better. 
Verse 15, the day is coming, Jesus says, when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holiness. He says, reader, pay attention. And he's saying that because he knows many of the readers will be familiar with this prophecy of the prophet Daniel, which happened like 700 years earlier. But here's what else they would know. They would know, I think that already happened. Even in Jesus' time, that had already happened. This abomination that causes desolation, they would have understood that that happened in 168 BC. So that was a long time ago for these folks. That happened in the past. And what happened was this king, Antiochus, came into Jerusalem, tore through, went up to the altar of God. So it's a pagan in the temple, goes to the altar of God and sacrifices a pig, an unclean animal. That was an abomination that caused desolation. And so that's how they understood that prophecy. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that happened, but it's going to happen again only in a different way. And that's often how prophecy works in the Bible. There's, this, there's the first version, but then there's kind of like an echo of it or a mirror of it that happens later on. And you see this, especially with Jesus. Like Jesus is this person who, you got Joseph at the beginning of the Bible, and he's, he's this brother that was betrayed by his brothers who ultimately offers them forgiveness and saving. Like that's what Joseph did. He's, he's pretty good at it, but he also, he foreshadowed the perfect brother who was betrayed by his brothers, who saves everybody, that's Jesus, right? King David's the same way. He's like this good king. People are like, is this the Messiah? No, he's a foreshadowing. He's imperfect, but he foreshadows the perfect one coming later. In the same way, some of these prophetic statements have echoes throughout time, okay? So this abomination that causes desolation, this happened then, but Jesus says, it's also gonna happen in the distant future. This is, gonna, this is important for the tribulation time. Then he talks about, this other manifestation of prophecy being fulfilled. And that happens later than where our disciples are in time right now. This is going to be the sacking of the temple of, or of the entire city of Jerusalem in 70 AD. This is where the Romans, led by Titus, they siege the city for four years. And this really is a type of judgment of God for not recognizing the Messiah. And they, they siege the city for four years. Finally, they break through and they pull the temple entirely down. And this is where Jesus is prophesying to the Christians. He's saying, hey, listen, verse 16, then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. These disciples, this is good for them to hear because they ultimately did. They did leave Jerusalem. That's what the Christians did. Now, the Jews, they wouldn't leave because they were Jews. They're like, we're not leaving the temple. And this really was a breach between the Jews and the Christians. That happened in 70 AD. The Jews were like, how could you guys leave? But they were warned by Jesus that they should leave. And so that's what they did. So this is a great forewarning for the people. It was their generation. They would see that happen. But that's not all that was going to happen because Jesus is also going to talk about what happens later that isn't limited to 70 AD because it's much worse than anything that happened in 70 AD. Do you see how prophecy works a little bit? See, God doesn't mind jumping a couple thousand years and not necessarily telling you that he did it. But that's how the spirit of God works. And so we need to pull this apart. We're going to jump around in the scriptures a little bit. So number one, we're going to say is an ancient prophecy is fulfilled. If you got your notes, an ancient prophecy is fulfilled. And then number two, a ruler arises. Now, this is really key, man. This is really key because this ruler is the one who 
Later on in the tribulation, in the temple, he is going to do again this abomination that causes desolation. He's going to do something. We don't even know what it is. We don't know exactly what he's going to do, but the temple's going to be there again. And this ruler that arises is going to do something completely sacrilegious in the new temple of God. Number two, a ruler arises. He's already told us in Matthew 24, 23 through 25, hey, there's going to be lots of false messiahs. Just like there were in the church age, there's going to be even worse in the tribulation time. And they're going to try to trick everybody, but there's one who's coming who's worse than all of them. He's the one that these guys were all pointing to. He is the Antichrist. This is a ruler, global ruler, that's going to promise peace, and it's going to look like that's what's happening at first, but then he's going to bring darkness and death and despair into the world. He's going to rule everything, and he's going to especially make it hard on Christians as we're going to see. Revelation 13.1, let's, let's, let's understand this. Verse 1. I saw a beast. Now, the beast is the Antichrist. I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on its horns and written on each head were the names that blasphemed God. Okay, these horns, they represent authority. So this beast, he's probably kind of handsome, but he's not a real beast. But he's called a beast because he represents something ferocious and terrifying, and these thorns represent the authority that he's given. Verse two, this beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. Okay, that's frightening. And that's, that's what it's trying to say. He won't really look like that, but he's saying, hey man, this dude is so ferocious and the power that he has to devour is so real. That's how um, he would be described by the apostle John in Revelation. Going on, and the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. The dragon, just for understanding, the dragon is Satan himself. So this Antichrist is a man that is empowered by the dragon Satan. He's given satanic power to do all these things that he's going to do. He's going to be, have authority, he's going to be ferocious, and he's going to make it really hard on people. One way to understand this, because there's going to be another guy called the false prophet, um, we all know, we understand, we worship a triune God. We worship Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Right? So we're saved through the Son. The Spirit testifies to us of the Son. And in a similar way, there's kind of an evil trinity during the tribulation. There's Satan, and then there, it's, it's kind of like the son of Satan, the Antichrist. He's this demonically empowered dude. And then there's this false prophet. And his whole job is he's going to keep pointing to the Antichrist and be like, everybody needs to worship him. He's the guy. Everybody gather around and look at him. So this evil, satanic trinity is also going on at this time. You don't have this in your notes, but I just want to um, read. Sorry, let's go to first, Second Thessalonians 2, 9, just to understand a little bit more about the Antichrist. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. I want you to see that these people are culpable. It's not just that they were tricked. It's they, they chose to reject the truth that would save them. Um, you don't have this in your notes, but let me just read it to you. It's Revelation 13. It's describing this false prophet. He, will, he did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. He deceived all people who belonged to this world. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, and no one could buy or sell anything without the mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. This dude everybody's under his control now. If, if, if you don't receive this mark of the beast, if, if you don't hail allegiance to this antichrist, what is he saying? He's saying, these guys are running the whole show. You're gonna be on the outside. You can't buy or sell or trade. Now, some of you already are like, Carter, I know who it is. I know who the antichrist is. 
They're the Kardashians. <laughs> Look, I don't think you're right about that, but here's what we know. Um, the Bible isn't really trying to get us to identify who it is as much as it's trying to help us say, this is what he'll do. These are, the, these are the ways you'll be able to tell that, oh, it's arrived. Oh, now he's doing this thing. So what happens? A ruler arises, at some point comes into this new temple and causes this sacrilegious event, the abomination that causes desolation to happen. Welcome to the tribulation. This is where we are. When these things are happening, Jesus says, pay attention. You know you're in the tribulation, which is seven years long. You know the, the thing's almost done. Number three, a merciful limit. Because God is so loving and so good, we read in verse 21, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. You know, all we have to do is look back to the last century, to the 20th century, and look at the horrific things that humans did to one another. Look at the way, um, look at the Holocaust. Look at the nuclear elements that were added to war. Look at the way um, nation rose against nation. I mean, there, there's never been a century like that in terms of how much murder and death was a part of that. And Jesus says, hey man, it's gonna be worse than that. That's how we know he's not talking about 70 AD because Jesus says, it'll never be this bad again. Well, 70 AD was bad, but it was nothing compared to the 20th century. So Jesus is again, he's forecasting in the future. He says, hey, you Christians in the future, pay attention. You need to understand the signs of the times when you see them. So this ruler arises, goes into the temple, causes this abomination that causes desolation. In his mercy, God sets a limit. And then number four, heavenly horror. Heavenly horror, yikes. Dude, it's, it's getting bad. Everybody remember Buddy Jesus not right now, okay? There he is. He's like, I got you, man. You're good. It's okay, okay? Heavenly horror, yikes. Verse 29, immediately after the anguish of those days. So remember, these days are so bad that God has to stop it from killing everybody. God stops it. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. I want you to imagine this day with me. Because we can kind of read that, and oh, it kind of, sounds kind of poetic, but let's actually put ourselves there watching this unfold. Years ago, I was with my friend, Matt. We were sitting on the porch and we were, we were across the street from this telephone pole. And I don't know what the things are that hold the wires to the pole. You know, those metal looking things. Somebody, transformers. Thank you. Is that Dion? Thanks, buddy. So, so yeah, Autobots. So, so we're, we're sitting there and this thing just blows up right across the street from us. And my friends, it was like this. It was like a bomb went off. And this is post 9-11, so we're like freaked out, okay? This, this thing blows up, like sparks flying everywhere. And it was so percussive. And my friends, I got to tell you, it was completely reactionary. Like you, there was no time to think. Our bodies just started running, like instantly. Like we didn't think, oh, we're under attack. Like none of that even happened. It was just like something is blowing up, run. okay. That's what happened when a transformer blew up. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when you are staring at the sky? And sure, the sun goes out, but that happens at night anyway, so maybe you don't really notice that part. But you look at the stars, and it's not just like shooting stars. Dude, the stars really begin to literally fall away. Your universe is collapsing. Do you think that's going to be like, eh, that's no big deal? That's probably going to wig everybody out, severe panic as they watch this happen. So a ruler arises. There's an abomination that causes desolation in the temple. In his mercy, God still sets a limit so that it can't go too far. Then there's heavenly horror. 
going on in the sky. And then number five, here we go, a surprise return. This is the good news, man. It gets really good from here, okay? Here's the good news. 2430, and then at last, the sign, of the, son, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens. And we don't know what that sign is. Maybe it's just Jesus. Oh, that's, that's a good sign. That's him. Maybe it's the cross. Who knows? But anyway, either way, everybody knows it. And there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with glory. This is a big moment. But this moment of mourning is also a moment of panic. Okay, because Matthew 24, 38, Jesus describes it like the days of Noah. Remember Noah in the ark and like nobody believed him and everyone was kind of mocking him and like, you're a moron, this is never gonna happen. He gives his whole life to building this boat. Jesus says, it's gonna be just like that in this day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going on until, somebody say until. Until. Until, see, there was a moment when they realized what was going on. They didn't until, until they did. There was a moment when the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the son of man comes. They did realize it eventually, but it was too late at that point. And I just wonder, as I'm picturing those people, as the rain starts to come, back in the past, you know, they've, they've been laughing at Noah his whole life. At what point did they begin to panic? You know what I'm saying? Like, does the water have to get up to your knees before you're like, uh-oh, What's going on here? Does it have to get up to your chest before you're like, oh no? What, where does it have to get before panic strikes and they're like, oh no, I missed my shot. Like this was it. This whole thing is gonna happen now. I don't know what it was like for them, but Jesus says, whatever it was like, it's gonna be like that again. People are gonna be like, oh no, it is too late. So if you wanted to be a doctor tomorrow, you couldn't do that if you're not one already, just so you know, right? If you wanted to be a doctor tomorrow, you had to start a long time ago. There's decisions you had to make. There's certain things you had to do. If you want to see patients tomorrow, it's too late to just start now. You have to have already done it. If you want to be a lawyer, it's the same thing. You can't just start seeing clients tomorrow. You had to start a long time ago for that to happen. My friends, at this point in history, a lot of panic is going to be setting in because, uh uh-oh, I can't wait till next week now because there's not going to be a next week. Like, this is it. Now, I want to be careful that you're not hearing the wrong thing. I'm not saying that you have to really be good and work up to be in Jesus' favor. That's not true. Because at any moment, today, right now, you don't need eight years of preparation. We can, right now, if we're not right with God, if we're not good with God, right now, we can come to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, forgive me my sin. I've been off in a far off land, you know, soaking it up with the pigs. And I want to come back home to where the real blessing is right now. Like it's instantaneous with Jesus. You don't have to put in any work. But the point is at this point in history, people aren't in that space. They've rejected Jesus all this time. And because he's appearing now, the clock has run out. It doesn't mean that he's not still the same lamb of God. It's just that the lion has also arrived. And we have to know he's both all the time. Right now, we are living in the season of his favor. It's the year of the Lord right now. Anybody can come to Jesus. But at this point, you can't. Like it's done. He's here. And no one knows the time. Uh, Verse 36, however, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the son himself, only the father knows. I'm so glad that the Lord gave us that little snippet because it protects us from charlatans all the time. Let's remember, okay, you've seen this. You're gonna see it again. It'll be around before you know it. Someone will get on TV 
And they'll be like, I know the day. <laughs> like, this is it. And they'll gather a little group around them and they'll like, try to tell everybody and every, you know, people will make fun of them and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but we know, hey, dude, whatever date they say, it's not that day, okay? Because Jesus already told us no one is gonna know, okay? Only the Father knows that timetable. And, and even if this crazy charlatan thinks that they like somehow outweigh the word of God, they don't. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will never pass away, according to Jesus. So um, we can rest assured, nope, nobody's gonna know. But, but the point is that knowing the date, Jesus is trying to compel us, no, I want you to live like it's tomorrow every day. That's the point. That's what he's trying to get us to do. Verse 32, now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away from the scene until all these things take place. He doesn't mean Jesus's generation. He means the generation that begins to see these things. They see the rise of the Antichrist. They see the, the abomination that causes desolation. He says, dude, it's not going to be very long. They're not going to die off and it's another thousand years. No, it's seven years. It's going to happen right away. When, when the little buds begin to appear, dude, it's like in the next couple days, okay? Summer's going to be here and you're not even going to know it happened. That's how Jesus says we need to live with urgency and preparation. Well then, and we're not totally understanding, you know, the Bible's not always clear how this is going to happen, but Jesus is going to appear and there's gonna be this great battle, the battle of Armageddon. It's gonna take place on the plains of Megiddo. Okay, that's a real place. Great, great big plain. And we don't totally understand if this is figurative or if it's literal, I don't know. But crazily, the Antichrist is gonna try to like galvanize his forces and they're gonna face off against Jesus. Now that is dumber than dumb, okay? But that's what he's gonna to try to do, all right? Because he thinks somehow that's gonna work. And, and I think it tells us a little bit about the nature of deception. See, when we embrace darkness, we become so jacked up and so deceived that we just don't even realize we're opposing the king of heaven. And I really believe there's gonna be a lot of people on the Antichrist side that think they're doing good on that day, but it's not gonna go so well for them. So a ruler arises. There's an abomination that causes desolation. There's a merciful limit because of God's mercy. There's heavenly horror. There's a surprise return. And then there's this battle of Armageddon. This is kind of, these last three are all kind of happening at the same time. The stars are falling out of the sky. The surprise return, Armageddon is happening. And then there's this thing called the rapture. Now I know some of you are already in an argument with me in your head <laughs> about the timing of the rapture. And I just want to tell you that's okay. Let me just explain what the concern is here, okay? Some folks, godly people, believe the rapture is going to happen before any of this takes place. Carter, we'll never be there, okay? The rapture is going to come along and whisk us all away. Rapture means we're going to float up into the air with Jesus and be whisked away to heaven. And they believe there's a secret time. And you, you've seen it, man. You saw like, if you saw Left Behind with Kirk Cameron or the weirder one with Nick Cage, <laughs> but, but like, you know, that's what they did in those movies, okay? That's, that's, the, that's called the pre-trip the pre-tribulational rapture, okay? That's what that means, this long word. There's other folks who say, no, that's really not how it's gonna go. It's, it's a post-trib rapture, meaning the rapture actually just happens when Jesus comes and Christians are not spared from the tribulation. So I'm the pastor, so I'm just gonna tell you what I think. If you think anything different, like if you don't agree with my version, hey man, that's okay. I don't mind if you're wrong, but... Um, <laughs> But for real, Christians shouldn't fight about this because the point is, like, it, it doesn't really matter. As long as, if you're in Christ, dude, you're, you're getting raptured no matter what you do, okay? You don't have to pop in a coin, like, you're just going. So, like, like the point, my, my, my concern is really that you're just in Christ so that either way you don't miss it. 
So number six, a raptured church. Now check this out. The words are very important here. Verse 31, and he will send out with his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world from the farthest ends of the, of the earth and heaven. Notice a couple things. One, they're all gathered up by angels, but there's a mighty trumpet. There's like a loud thing going on here. Like, dude, it's loud. I'm sorry for people that don't like loud worship. Sorry, man, this is gonna be loud, okay? But we also see, as Paul is talking about the same event in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, you don't have these in your notes, but just listen. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. Dude, this is loud, I'm sorry. This is not silent. This is not hidden. It's not just like, and everybody's gone. Like, dude, this is mega loud. You're not going to miss it, okay? You're going to know that it's happening. And it goes on to say, first, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Whoa, talking about the dead will rise, okay? Just here, I know that people are concerned about the zombie apocalypse. There's no zombies in this, all right? What, what he's saying is when, when we die, if we die before this happens, you're gonna go immediately into the presence of the Lord. Your spirit will. But the Lord has made a promise, even from Old Testament times, there's a resurrection of the body even. That means no matter where the dust of your remains are, even if no one could ever find them, Okay, if you, were, if you died in the sea and were eaten by a shark, like it doesn't matter how you died. It if you were in war, if you got shot into space somehow and you're in three galaxies over, it doesn't matter where you are. God is so powerful. He's gonna gather together and remake your new and improved non-sin-tainted glorified body and he's gonna stick your soul back into it, okay? That's what's going to happen in this moment. Right there, we're gonna meet, everybody who's, uh, alive right then, that are going to go up and meet Jesus as he comes. And everybody's soul, even from heaven who came with, it's going to be reunited with their new glorified body. That's just awesome anyway. I know it sounds kind of weird, but it's awesome. But I want you to just think this through. Paul, who is saying this, he says this, then together with them, we who are still alive and return and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet them in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Paul is anticipating that he will experience this if he's alive. What that means is Paul is not anticipating a hidden, silent rapture that happens before this. He's not like, wow, but I won't be here. But whoever else is here, they'll go through that. No, he, he's saying, we're gonna do it. I'm a part of what's gonna happen here. And it's not silent, it's mega loud, and everybody's gonna know it. It's not gonna be hidden. So, you might object, Carter, but that doesn't make sense because why would God allow the wrath of God that's happening during the tribulation, why would he allow it to hit Christians? Hey, man, that's a good question. Here's the reality. It's not going to. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. So he experienced all the wrath. If you're a Christian, you'll ever experience. You'll never have to pay for your sin. Jesus Christ paid it in full, completely, finally, forever. But that doesn't mean that Christians don't suffer significantly. Dude, think about the past 20 centuries. There's, there's Christians that have suffered far more than you have. Dude, they've been eaten by lions. Like, so God clearly, though Jesus took the wrath, there's still a suffering that is a part of being on this planet that God's saying, I'm not, I'm not telling you that I'm gonna keep you from that. That's a part of this earth. So let me just give you three more ideas. First, the New Testament nowhere gives a clear scripture that says the rapture happens in two different times, that there's a silent one and then there's a loud one. No, there's no mention of the silent one, man. In addition, the New Testament nowhere even suggests that there's two. 
It only suggests that there's one. And then finally, and, and maybe this one is weightier for you, we've got to know that this idea of the rapture being before the tribulation is super late in the game. Nobody believed this until the 1800s. In fact, the first person to introduce this idea was a man by the name of John Nelson Darby. What that means, my friends, is that in the 1800 years before that, Augustine, Martin Luther, John Calvin, the, all the reformers, all these people, none of them did not write one line of text that suggested that people are raptured before the tribulation. It's nowhere to be found. That's weighty to me. So what does that mean? Um, it, it really doesn't matter. If, if you believe in Christ, you're getting raptured whenever Jesus does it. But um, I think the, the weight of scripture and the weight of church history should suggest to us, dude, I don't know, man, I'd prepare for that test. Because if you're just like, no, nah, I'm out of here. No worries for me. You might be disappointed if you end up getting the quiz anyway. So that's all I'm gonna say. So Jesus appears, Armageddon, whew, rapture, reuniting. Number seven, an effortless win. An effortless win. What do you think Jesus is gonna look like when he comes back? Let's see it again. You think that's how it's gonna roll? Is that what he's gonna do? I don't think so. That's not how the Bible describes it, okay? Now, it's not that his heart toward you isn't still that. He's still got you. But listen to the way the Bible describes it. Revelation 19, 11. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire. And on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. Jesus is everything that God wants to say. And the armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on a white horse. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the almighty, like juice flowing from the wine press. Whoa, that's an image. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who's gonna show up, that guy. That's the guy that is gonna have an effortless win. And the 2 Thessalonians 2.8, then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. There's going to be this twist. Like everybody on his team is going to go, oh no, this is the bad guy and we're the bad guys. And this is the guy who's coming to settle the score. And my friends, you got to know, it's not even, it doesn't even make sense to call it a battle. It is not a battle. That is not how this is going to go. It's not a fight. There's not a contest. There's no challenge. Listen to the way the Bible describes it. But the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Dude, it's just zap. It's done. You can't fight me. What are you doing? Are you crazy? That's how it's going to go. You ever like been around somebody with such bad breath that you'll kind of take a step back? Well, Jesus' breath is never bad, but this is going to be so powerful that all the armies of darkness are just slain. And the Antichrist is revealed for who he actually is. But for some of us, we're like, I don't know. I don't know, Carter, because isn't this why you Christians get in so much trouble? Because your God's a God of vengeance? Like, isn't it the problem that he, would, he wants to punish all those who do evil? Isn't that part of what's wrong with your brand right now, that God does these kinds of things? Hey, let me just challenge your thinking a little bit. You cannot have a loving God that is not just. They are two sides of the same coin. For God to be loving, he must be just. Let me ask you a question. Do you think it's, it's wrong for someone to get angry when someone walks into a school and shoots up a bunch of kids 
Think about the pain that causes those parents and grandparents and siblings. Do you think there should be no answer to that? Do you think that the Lord should just be like, eh, whatever? Should he just be like, no, that's fine. No, there's just forgiveness for everything. Do you think he should do that? Do you think when Christian Syrians are gassed to death that he should be like, ah, no big deal? Don't you think somebody should be angry? Don't you think there should be an answer for that thing? When a woman is raped and tortured and then slowly murdered somewhere that no one will ever find her, don't you think a good loving God says there has to be an answer for this if I'm gonna claim to be loving? Well, my friends, that's what this moment is. Evil has been sown into the world this whole time. And God says, I cannot pretend that I love everybody if I don't answer all the evil that has been perpetrated against me and against those I love. There is an answer and it overcomes evil. And when it happens, there is a roar in heaven of cheers and praise like the sound of running waters. People are like, yes, this is righteous. This is good. This is holy. Hitler and everybody like him has been answered definitively and evil is gone and no more because of God's love and God's justice are the same thing. And this is how it ends. Revelation 19, 20, and the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshiped his statue. Both the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. 2010, then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There is an answer for evil. There's an answer for injustice. My friends, it doesn't even make any sense for you and I to forgive somebody of something that was deeply evil if there's not a God of justice. If there's not, why don't you just get even? Why don't you just take revenge? Because the Lord says, no, revenge is mine. I will repay, says the Lord, because why? Because you can trust him that he's gooder than you. He's wiser than you. And his judgment is more fierce than any you could ever do. That's why your God is loving. And that's why he's a God of justice. And this is what happens to evil at the end of the tribulation. I hope that we're like the Thessalonians. This is what uh, Paul heard somebody bragging about them and he wrote to tell them about it. Verse 10, he says, and they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's son from heaven. Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. He's the one, he's the one who rescues us from the terrors of that judgment. So the question is, will we meet him as savior or will we meet him as judge? Because if we meet him as savior, if he's the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life, we're not judged. We've passed from judgment and into life. And the judgment that was upon us was actually upon him. My friends, God so loved the world. Listen, get this Jesus in your mind because he is the conquering hero, but that doesn't mean he's not still the same Jesus that walked the earth. He's still the same God who so loved the world. He was given that anyone who believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. He's the same God that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Before you did anything right, he still thought you were worth it and died for you. He's the one who, he said, hey man, even though I've got 99, I'll leave them all to find one. I'll leave them all to find you. That's the same Jesus. That's the Jesus you know today. That's the Jesus we need to all make sure that we know. We've got to have this urgency. 
Hey man, we've gotta be ready. I mean, that's what Jesus has been saying this whole time. We've gotta be praising him that man, listen, man can't end the world. Is that good news? Look, look, man, I don't, I don't care what you invent. And you might even do terrible things from here on out. But God says, I'm the one who finishes everything. It's my earth and I'm the one who wraps everything up. So humans, you can't even do it. But it should also put urgency in us for those we love because that's a real day. And either we're gonna go meet Jesus or he's gonna come meet us, one of the two. So this should produce passion for us. I'm gonna partner with my church. I'm gonna go on mission trips. I'm gonna do whatever I can do in my community to help people far from God find him, even if it means I severely inconvenience myself because my, my life has to count. Can somebody say amen? amen? I think every one of us knows people in your life right now. You know, folks, who you would just say they're far from God. Let's bow our heads. We're gonna pray for them right now. If you know somebody, they've been drifting, they've been wandering, they've been far away in a far off land, they've been living for self, they're looking for blessing, but they're really looking in the wrong place. They're looking for blessing apart from God, rather in the land of the Father through Jesus. I want you to get their face or faces in your mind right now. If you've got somebody in your mind right now, I want you to put your hand up. Let's, let's raise our hands. Raise your hand for whoever you're thinking of right now. And we're gonna pray for them. Father, we lift up these people whom you love, you died for Jesus. We pray that you would do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Help us to persevere in faith. Help us to persevere trusting that you're gonna send the right people into that fraternity. You're gonna send the right people into that uh, work group. You're gonna send the right people into that salon. You're gonna send the right people. You're gonna send the right message. You're gonna wear down their resistance. You're gonna explain it in such ways that they would understand it. God, would you go get this person? They are your treasure, Jesus. You died for them. And would you use us, whatever it takes, to help people find their way to you in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.